Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris. There was a lot that has happened over the past few days from last week to now the present day. There's been tons of stuff going on. So let's hop right into the episode right now. So to start off, we got some news coming from the sports world. First one I want to talk about is a kind of a big one, kind of a, isn't a big shocker, honestly, is the Texas men's basketball coach Chris Beard has been fired due to the charges that have been brought against him over violence. And this wasn't a shocker to anybody. This was eventually going to happen. And I kind of figured that Texas was kind of leaning towards the side of possible termination of Chris Beard just because of everything that happened, you know. And it's definitely bad publicity on the university at, you know, to add on top of it, especially since he's a top pristine coach. He's made it to a national championship. But, you know, you always have to do the right thing. And that was just, an you know, a big incident for him. And it, Definitely made news all over the country for Chris Beard. So he, but now he is no longer the head basketball coach for the Texas men's basketball team. But now I want to move on to Black Monday yesterday. And for those that don't know that term, it's basically the day where all the NFL teams decide if they're going to fire their coaches or not call, and it's called Black Monday. If you are part of that conversation, I am sorry about that. So the first firing that we have of the day was Cliff Kingsbury being fired and also Steve Keem, the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, stepping down. Now, I'm going to do a different episode on what, uh, going in-depth of why I don't think Cliff Kingsbury should have been the complete fault of what happened with Arizona, but to give you a little bit of a, kind of a cliff notes of what I think, it's mainly because Kyler Murray was not available. He was not available for a majority of the season. He was out. He had the, you know, the petty actions in the offseason trying to get his money before going into the season. No one was sure he was going to play. So I think Cliff was just put in a bad situation this season, and everyone was just fed up with it, I guess. So Cliff Kingsbury has been fired, and Steve Kim has stepped down as the general manager for the Arizona Cardinals. So now the Cardinals need a GM and a head coach, and I believe it's been reported that Kyler Murray is going to be in on who is going to be the next head coach. I personally don't think that's the greatest idea on the planet just because the reason why they got Cliff Kingsbury was because they were going to get Kyler Murray and he was supposed to be the best fit for Kyler, especially since he kind of runs an offense that Kyler is very used to at Oklahoma and in his college days. So we'll have to wait and see what goes on there, but I will go into more details probably in the next episode on the coaching's Coach is getting fired. The next coach that has been fired on Black Monday is Lovey Smith, the head coach for the Houston Texans. He has been fired as well. Uh, not a surprise. They did not play well all season. They've had a terrible record. Ironically, they do not have the first overall pick in the draft, but we will get to that in a little bit. But Lovey Smith has been fired, and, I mean, it's kind of a good direction the Houston Texans are taking. He is, he is a defensive-minded coach. Their defense for the Houston Texans has been pretty good this year. But just obviously the offense wasn't up to par. There were some games where Davis Mills looked like he was going to be great. And then there were other times where he just wasn't. But the defense was, you know, was kind of the bright side of the Houston Texans this season. But overall, no. So Levy Smith has been fired. And some other firings that have happened. Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Bounds, has been fired as well. They're, I believe they're interviewing Brian Flores, the linebacker coach for the Steelers for the next defensive coordinating job. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. And but possible hirings coming up. 
The Denver Broncos have fired Nathaniel Hackett a long time ago. He is gone. Now they are looking for their next head coach. They have requested permission from the Dallas Cowboys to interview Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, and they also requested permission from the New Orleans Saints, and they have been granted permission to interview Sean Payton, which is going to be big for Russell Wilson if they can land Sean Payton as their next head coach. Great offensive mind. He has, you know, he's probably one of the greatest coaches to ever, you know, be, you know, head of the table there. I don't know about Dan Quinn, possibly, just because his tenure with Atlanta. He did get to the Super Bowl. I will not deny that. He will. He did get to the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan when he had his MVP year. They had a great defense, but 28-3, can't forget it. And then afterwards, the Falcons just weren't the same. So I don't know if he can get another head coaching job. Who knows if... The Cowboys get eliminated this week. He may be the next one up for the Dallas Cowboys position. I don't know, but we will discuss that a little bit later on, too. But to wrap up the news, the Bears, after Sunday, have gotten the number one pick in the NFL draft. That's what I'm saying. How did the Texans not get it? The Texans won their game against the Indianapolis Colts 32-31 to solidify them getting the second pick in the draft. And now the Chicago Bears are in the driving wheel for the draft this upcoming year. So, what does this mean for the for the Chicago Bears? They hold all the power going into going into the offseason. What I mean by that is number 1 overall pick, who is going to give up the most priced for the number 1 pick? And what I mean by that is we saw what happened with Trey Lance a couple years ago with the 49ers. They gave up a lot to get Trey Lance and he hasn't even played a full season. We've seen how much teams are willing to give up. I believe the Bears a few years ago when they drafted Trubisky, they gave up quite a few to move up in the draft. So you can you'll meet desperate, you know, GMs and owners that may want that number one pick. You know, first ones that come to mind is definitely the Houston Texans because they need a quarterback. So do the Indianapolis Colts and maybe the Jets. They're gonna need some quarter uh, they're gonna need some quarterback help. So everyone is predicting that right now Bryce Young is probably gonna be the number one pick in the draft. If not him, I'm blanking on his name, but it's the defensive tackle from Georgia, which we will get to the national championship later on in the episode. But I believe those are the two that are projected to be the top two picks in the NFL draft. And I don't see the Chicago Bears going for a quarterback. They believe in Justin Fields. We've seen what he can do. We saw at Ohio State, he's a great passer. And now this season, we saw how athletic he is. I wouldn't say he's as you know shifty and has better escape ability than, say, Lamar Jackson. But he has some speed. We've seen, you know, that burst of acceleration he has. He can get you yards. He can get away from the pocket if need be. He can run for the first down. But as we saw all season, he was running for his life. So I do not think that the Bears need to go get Bryce Young. Not right now. And I don't know if they'll get the defensive tackle from Georgia. I, I don't know. They do need help on defense. But their priority right now should be to project just to protect Justin Fields at all costs. I believe he got injured uh, by his knee. And you can't have that. Either that, or if they do trade the pick, I can also see them getting another a wide receiver because they, they need help at wide receiver. Here's, here's why. So kind of doing some research on what happened with the receiving core, I believe Mooney was their top receiver. He had 400 yards for the season, and then he uh, was placed on IR and was out for the rest of the season. After, last, after this past Sunday, he is still the leading wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. So that means that the rest of this receiving core is not doing well. Chase Claypool, who they traded to get from the Pittsburgh Steelers, was not living up to 
the expectation that everyone had of him coming into Chicago. So I can see the Chicago Bears trading away the first round pick in the draft to maybe get a wide receiver in you know, later on in the later rounds or even an offensive lineman. I, I think they're going to lean towards more offensive linemen, protect Justin Fields at all costs, and that's going to be probably their main priority. And they can always go into the, you know, the free agency and see who's available at wide receiver. But those are for sure going to be the top two picks. I two, uh, Those are the two people that they may pick in their draft, but they won't go number one. I don't think there's any offensive lineman that I can think of the top, off the top of my head that can go number one that you would want more than Bryce Young or the defensive tackle out of Georgia or a wide receiver. So I don't see the Bears wasting a number one pick on either of them two. I can see them maybe in the later rounds. But if I'm the Chicago Bears, you have the power for this year because you do not need Bryce Young. I do not think they should get Bryce Young. That'll be waste of a pick and a big middle finger to Justin Fields because you guys because they believe in him, but they go get Bryce Young for the, with the number one pick. So we're going to have to wait and see what they want to do. I know uh, the Houston Texans and probably the Colts are going to wait to see uh, what they want to give up for him. Probably the, the Texans are going to wait for uh, to get a new head coach before they start deciding on who's going to make draft picks. But I want, that's another thing, actually, before I move on, how did Jeff Saturday not get fired is my thing. Is Everyone was shocked when he got hired for the Colts. He did not do well. I believe he only won like two games when he got hired and they lost the rest of the season. Well, how did he not get fired on Black Monday? That, that's, that's kind of a shocker to me. I don't know if they're going to try to put Jeff Saturday in the drive, you know, in the driving wheel for the remainder of next season. I don't know. I don't think he's fit to be the head coach. Personally, he just didn't do well. Nothing changed. They had a couple glimpses where maybe things might turn around, but they did not. So I'm surprised he hasn't gotten fired. I don't put the full blame on him, though, for the season because he came in in a bad situation, which ultimately got into a worse situation. So Saturday was not the full issue of the Indianapolis Colts. You did not fire interim, interim coaches. That is true. That, that's a good point. But the Colts do need a head coach, and we'll have to wait and see what, who they pick, who they're going to pick up. That's maybe like another reason why they're going to wait for the draft uh, to see what the Bears are going to want you know, to, you know, to give, um, what they want to offer to get the number one pick from the Bears. So we will have to wait and see for the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans, they're probably going to wait for the head coach to come in before they make any kinds of decisions going into the draft. Next topic, the national championship was played last night. Your Georgia Bulldogs are the national champions, back-to-back -back national champions. Congratulations to Georgia and Stenson Bennett. 65-7. I'm going to start with Georgia before I get to TCU. First of all, Georgia played probably their best game of the year. Uh, last night, uh, Stenson Bennett, 18 for 25, 304 yards and four touchdowns. Most of them came in the, I believe he got like 200 and something yard passing yards in the first half. And he also got a rushing touchdown in the first half as well. So they, Georgia all around, they played their best football all year. They, that, that is exactly what you want from your team, especially being one of the top teams in the country, top 10 in offense and top 10s in defense. They definitely were able to pick it up from compared to last compared to the week prior when they were playing Ohio State and they struggled they let Ohio State put over 30 points on the board so they definitely got a wake up call after that game and saw I guess after they saw what happened with Michigan they could not let TCU come back into the game they could not give Max Duggan a chance to even get you know get some momentum and get back into the game and they did not they shut down the TCU offense the 
you know, all props to the defensive coordinator getting ready for them. And uh, props to the offensive coordinator for uh, Georgia as well to be able to beat that 3-3-5 defense that TCU loves to run. You know, the Magatars didn't have the greatest of games, but Stenson Bennett was able to get out of tackles from winners. They were able, he was able to throw passes right on the dime against some of the top corners that TCU has to offer. And people were just getting open. Like some some parts that I saw was that the defensive coordinator uh, for TCU just wasn't making adjustments because their their coverage was getting blown every other play. I saw seam routes from the tight ends wide open for touchdowns. And at some point, they just made TCU feel like this, like it's not worth it anymore. So congrats to Georgia for winning the national championship. But now I want to end on this note. They do have the most the most talented roster of the NCAA, definitely compared to TCU. Because when you look at some of TCU's players, most of them probably would have not even started at Georgia. So hands down, you know, the Bulldogs did have the most talent compared to the two, and they, they showed it on display last night. I'm going to move on to TCU now. And just how disappointed I am with the Horn Frogs. I had a lot of hope that this was going to be a great game. I even went into the episode last week whenever we talked about the game. I thought that this game would have ended really close. It was going to come down to the wire. All the analysts and other, you know, from Fox, ESPN, all of them had this being a close game and Georgia winning it at the wire. And that's what I had to. I, I had like maybe a late field goal or game winning touchdown for Georgia. I did not te- expect TCU to be this disappointing in the national championship first off we're gonna start with max duggan 14 for 22 152 yards and two ints from what i saw max duggan playing the issue was running into they were running into is that they were not his offensive line was not blocking so i will not give max all the blame because it wasn't all his fault what i saw was an offensive line that was scared of that that georgia defensive front that's what i saw I saw them not stepping up to make the block. Every time Georgia blitzed, no one picked up, you know, the incoming linebacker or the free defensive lineman. One of the instances was not the not the lineman, but the running back Demaricado completely missed a block on a linebacker. Like he was screaming off the edge, that's the guy you're supposed to pick up and he doesn't pick him up. Now, that's when I knew that things were going to go bad for TCU because you can just tell they were getting Georgia was getting in the backfield, sacking Max Duggan, stopping the run. They did not let TCU's run game ever develop, and they only allowed one big play from TCU that whole game, and that was in the first quarter when the game was still relatively close. So it's just it was just disappointing. Sunny Dykes, that was a very big disappointment of a game. It was just hard to watch at some point, and I I don't feel completely bad. For TCU, because we kind of you kind of expected not expected that big of a blowout, but they did know what level of competition they were going up against. It wasn't a shock. Everyone knew about Georgia. Everyone knew what they were bringing to the table. Now I don't know if maybe what, with what happened with Ohio State, if like kind of gave them a little bit of like relief and confidence. I don't know if it was the big the big lights on the biggest stage and TCU was just shocked. But from what I can tell in that game, they were playing scared. That's hands down what I saw from TCU. They were scared to play against Georgia, and you can't do that. You cannot play scared against that team. They're, you know, they're under the same lights as you. It's the big stage. I get they've been there, TCU. I get that they won last year. Stenson Bennett's already been won a national championship, but you can't let that scare you or you know blind you in what your goal is. The goal is to w- try to win this game. You are there 
for a reason. TCU was there at the national championship for a reason. They beat Michigan, the number two team in the country, who a lot of people had Michigan beating TCU. So they were there. You know, TCU was put there for a reason. There was a reason why the committee put, you know, placed them at three. They believed they were going to give the college football players a chance. And they had a fair shot. They obviously were able to move the ball because off the big play in the first quarter that Max Duggan was able to connect on. And I believe he had a rushing touchdown after that big catch. But after that, it was just, you can just tell who was the more dominant team. And you can just, I can just see it off play that most of those players were scared of Georgia. And that's exactly what you don't want to show is fear. When you're on the football field, you never want to show the opposing team that you're scared of them. You never do. Because then... Once once that team gets that kind of gets that sniff of fear, it it's it's over. It's it's a wrap for you. And sixty five to seven is just it's just an utter embarrassment on TCU and the Big Twelve. I believe somebody was talking about this earlier. I don't I believe it was Shannon Sharp on yet that this is a lot of talent, that Georgia does have a lot of talent, but TCU was there, I guess the earlier for a reason. And even though they did have that talented roster, they almost lost to Ohio State who arguably has a little bit lesser of a roster than they do. The only really pound-for-pound uh, pound thing that they had with them was their, was Ohio State's offense. Max Duggan was a runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. So it wasn't and it wasn't like they, you know, TCU was playing scrubs on the field. And to end on this note for the national championship, congratulations to Georgia, the Bulldogs, back-to-back. -back. We'll have to see if they try to go for a third term. I'm not sure if they'll do that, but we'll have to see what happens Next season, I know they have a pretty good uh, schedule laid out. They have a kind of an easy one, so we'll have to wait and see. So congratulations to Georgia. <clears throat> All right, so next topic, games that caught my eye. So first off, we're going to stop with the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I will be the first to admit it. I did not see that game coming. I did not predict we were going to do that bad against the Washington Commanders. Let's start off. So we're going to start with the with one of the big issues. Dak Prescott. 14 for 37, 128 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Those are the numbers you never want going into playoffs. <coughs> you never want that issue. You never want to perform like that going into the wild card. Especially if you have a chance to make the first seed. They had a chance. They, they honestly did. Because... The Eagles had to play the Giants. Now, granted, the Giants were, uh, they benched a lot of their starters. <coughs> they benched a lot of their starters, and the Eagles, you know, started Jalen Hurst to kind of get him back into rhythm and to secure the number one seed. They That doesn't mean that the Cowboys should have not tried as hard, because especially if they were trying to win the division. If, if Jalen Hurst got hurt again or that game did not go as planned for the Eagles, that the Cowboys could possibly get the number one or worse, you know, lesser, the number two seed. The 49ers could take up the number one if the Eagles lost and the Cowboys won. However, that is not what happened. And with Dak Prescott, you have the ability to play at such a high level. We've seen it throughout his career. We saw it in his rookie season. We saw it last year. We saw it in 2020 before he got hurt. He could play at a high level. They have the weapons. The running game is there. But this past Sunday, it just wasn't. The running game was below 100 yards. <clears throat> CeeDee Lamb, five catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. I don't know if Dak Prescott just loves Noah Brown more than CeeDee Lamb. But he was giving Noah Brown 
way too many chances throughout the game. The first interception that I saw, actually, it should have been two technically if Fuller, the defensive back, didn't drop it in the beginning of the game. Should have been two interceptions. Uh, Dak Prescott looked directly at Noah Brown, and that gave Fuller, you know, the indicator of go pick it, and that's how he threw the interception. And if you're going to throw a route like that, if you're a quarterback, you always aim for the outside shoulder heading to the sideline. Don't give that defender a chance to jump on the ball. But he threw it on the inside, and that's a pick. So with Dak playing like this, it, it does raise a giant explanation point to every Cowboys fan and for the Dallas Cowboys going into the postseason because they're going up against Tampa Bay. They're going to play Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. That is a bad situation if you're going to be playing like this. All these turnovers is not going to cut it in the in the playoffs. It may try to cut against Tampa Bay, but it's not a guarantee it will. <coughs> Brady is undefeated. He's 7-0 against the Dallas Cowboys. And they're playing at home. They have a home game. We Dak needs to cut on the turnovers. And I believe he even said it earlier, like that's you know, that is poor play. He needs to not do that anymore. And you're right. I've been saying it for about a couple weeks. I like being aggressive. I like quarterbacks that want to take a chance, take a risk, because high risk, high reward. But when you're turning the ball over 15 times and you miss five games, there is an issue like somewhere. Someone's having the problem here, and I don't know if it's Kellen Moore or him, but at this point, it's starting to look like Dak is becoming the problem here. Because after I saw that interception when he threw it right to Fuller, essentially, that's when I knew, okay, then something's up with Dak. Like, I understand you want to get Noah Brown the ball. You want to try to get him his catches. But he's not your number one wide receiver. He is not. T.Y. Hilton's probably going to take his spot at number three. CeeDee Lamb needs to be incorporated more into the offense because only five catches and 53 yards is not good. It just isn't. He's your number one wide receiver. He's had over 100 yards uh, receiving the past couple weeks. He can, you know, he's a big-time playmaker. He's kind of the guy that, you you know, when you need that play, give it to him. Or that's why you even signed T.Y. Hilton. That was the main reason why the Cowboys went and got him because after Odell not going through, they got another wide receiver to help out in case they need the big play. They can go to him. And that just wasn't there. It just wasn't. And for the Commanders, they didn't even need to win the game. They didn't care. What this game was to the Commanders was the Sam Powell audition to see if they're going to roll with him or they need to go get another quarterback. <coughs> what I mean by this is that Carson Wentz was obviously not the answer. They benched him for Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke did okay, but he wasn't the answer. Now, at the end of the season, let's see what we have in Sam Powell. Worst case, they go get another quarterback or they're going to have to roll with somebody else. And this was an audition game for him. This was to see if he was worth the draft pick when they went to go get him this past year from North Carolina. And that that's all this was to the commanders. And it was just a way for them to see if they have a future quarterback, if they can you know revolve the team around him, or if he maybe he needs a little more development and they stick with Taylor Heineke. I personally think they're going to stick with Heineke just because Wentz had his chance in Philadelphia. He had his chance in Indianapolis, and now he's had his chance in Washington. And I would still get, I would still pick Taylor Heineke over Carson Wentz just because Taylor Heineke's won the locker room. He has a great relationship with Terry McLaurin. So I would go with him. But with Sam Powell, they're trying to see if they have a quarterback for maybe a little more down the road. If Heineke gets injured, they can rely on Sam Powell to run the offense. But the way this game played out, it looked like you could probably put him as starter and roll with him for the season. That's how the Dallas Cowboys made him look. Now, the other concern, the biggest one I've had going into playoffs, which hopefully gets fixed with the signing of Xavier Rhodes. Uh, he got signed to the practice squad last week. 
is the cornerbacks. Our defensive back, uh, I think his name was Mullins, he got torched four different times in a half that I saw. He got torched by McLaurin twice. He got, I believe it was Dotson was another one. Our corners are the issue here. It's not anything, aside of the pass rushing, we need to get to the quarterback is, is another issue here. But I can, you know, I can hope that there's going to be, you know, good pass rushing from Demarcus Lawrence. He can step it up when he needs to. Micah Parsons is, is a beast. He can step it up when he needs to. But when you don't have good, you know, quarterbacks, they can at least give the, you know, give the pass rushers a chance to get there. That's going to be a problem. And Mullins isn't isn't going to be the uh, great cornerback, uh, too. They don't want to roll with Bland because I believe Dan Quinn prefers to have Bland at that nickel cornerback's position. They need a cornerback too, and I think Xavier Rhodes getting signed. I know he's a you know he's a little older, but he will bring that experience to the locker room and hopefully help out these younger cornerbacks because this is the third quarterback we've gone through for QB two alongside Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs is probably going to have to hold down the wide receiver uh, one throughout the playoffs. So I'm not really too worried about Trayvon Diggs. I'm worried about cornerback two. Who's going to you know, lock down the other side receiver? Because what I noticed what the commanders started doing was the commanders would start moving Terry McLaurin to Mullins' side because they saw that Mullins can beat... Uh, I'm sorry. Terry McLaurin can beat Mullins on a, on a simple streak route. So with that... Mullins is not is probably not going to start going into playoffs. It's probably going to be Xavier Rhodes. I would trust Xavier Rhodes more than I would Mullins, as from what I saw. I trust him more than Wright because Wright was not very good either. Bland Bland has some instance has a little bit of showing, but I do like him more as a coverage cornerback. Uh, maybe not a man to man corner like Trayvon Diggs. So that is going to be my biggest concern, especially going up against Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. And all those guys, and then the interior defense with the linebackers and the defensive line have to worry about Leonard Fournette. Now, I know the Buccaneers' running game has not been existent this year, but when you don't have another good cornerback uh, to help at least lock up Chris Godwin, it's going to be a long day for the defense, and it's going to be a long day for Mullins. So hopefully, Xavier Rhodes can slip on in and help Trayvon Diggs and help that secondary kind of relax, but we will have to wait and see what happens in the wild card. This upcoming weekend. The next game that caught my eye was the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have won their division. Congratulations to Jacksonville. They knocked off the Titans 20 to 16. Now, to kind of headline some, some stats here, Trevor Lawrence, 20 for 32, 212, 212 yards, and one touchdown. Their biggest thing here was their defense. Their defense stepped up, even though Derrick Henry did have a good game, which we'll get to the Titans in a minute. The defense for the Jacksonville Jaguars did step up when they needed to to make you know the great defensive plays to make sure Dobbs did not have a great uh, passing game. Obviously, Derrick Henry's hard to hold, but they did the best that they can, and it worked out for them. So congratulations to them. Now to move on to the Titans. Dobbs was 20 for 29, 179 yards, one touchdown, and one INT. From what I have saw from the Tennessee Titans is that Derrick Henry is not enough anymore. That's what I've seen from the Tennessee Titans this year. Not making the playoffs, not solidifying the division this year shows that they need more than Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry did have a great game. He had over 100 yards rushing, but he's not enough. He just flat out isn't anymore. They don't have a great wide receiver ever since they traded away A.J. Brown. Their passing game has been stagnant, and now it's evident. 
everyone's defensive play, game plan is to stop Derrick Henry. That's everyone's game plan. If you stop Derrick Henry, the Titans aren't going anywhere. Their defense did at least enough to to kind of keep Jacksonville at bay for most of the game. So it's not like their defense is kind of is part of the problem. It's the offense. You got to be able to move. And with not without having a number one wide receiver, I believe, um, not Austin Hooper. It's another wide receiver that they have that they got from the Rams. I'm blanking on his name, but he's not being the number one. Uh, Robert Woods, that's his name. Sorry about that. Robert Woods is not the number one wide receiver they need. Derrick Henry can only do so much, and he can only carry the team for so long. Obviously, Ryan Tannehill was injured. He did not play. Malik Willis doesn't look like he's the answer. So I think the Titans have a lot they need to fix before they become successful, at least at the high level again. So we'll have to see what the Titans end up doing this offseason. But for sure, get the offense some help. If you're going to stick with Ryan Tannehill next season, which more than likely they will, you need to get him some wide receivers. Because A.J. Brown at least gave defenses a threat in the passing game. And, we, and we're seeing how well A.J. Brown has played this year with the Philadelphia Eagles. And we saw how well he played the year prior with Tennessee. So at least with a wide receiver like A.J. Brown, they were able to put that kind of fear of, well, we can't rely on just blitzing and stopping Derrick Henry because he could throw it to A.J. Brown and A.J. Brown can burn us. Now that the Titans don't have that number one wide receiver anymore, everyone's defensive plan is to stop Derrick Henry. Even though he can get you over 100 yards, but when the rest of the offense can't do anything, what's the point? You're just you know, limiting how much longer he can last in the NFL. That's all they're doing. That's all Tennessee is doing at this point. So we will have to see what happens to the Titans. But congratulations to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have won your division, and you're moving to the playoffs. Next game that caught my eye is the Lions and the Packers. The Lions would knock off the Packers 20-16 to prevent Aaron Rodgers from going to the playoffs. Congratulations, Detroit. I'm going to go to Detroit first before I move on to the Packers. I have a lot to say what's going with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. First off, Jared Goff, great game. 23 for 34, 224 yards. And here's my thing with Jared Goff. I think Detroit kind of hit a little bit of a home run with this one. I know it was a lot of people's, you know, guessing, uh, you know, kind of a questionable if, if they should keep Jared Goff this season, if they maybe should go get one in the draft like Will Levis or maybe Max Duggan. I believe he's going into the draft. Stenson Bennett. I don't think they should. I honestly don't think they should. I think him being in Detroit, that took a little less pressure off than being in L.A. When he was in L.A., you know, everything was Jared Goff's fault. It was never Sean McVay's fault. Everything was on Jared Goff. But after the trade with Detroit, they got Matthew Stafford and they got Jared Goff, I believe a little less tension. Now, he, you know, he has a little less you know, pressure on his shoulders, and he was able to play at a good level this year. So I don't think Detroit should actually give up Jared Goff, and they should try to get another quarterback because Jared Goff did incredibly well this season. He actually did a lot better than a lot of people think, he, and the Detroit team is a lot better than a lot of people think. For example, Jamal Williams, another great night on his part, and Dan Campbell, the coach. It He is a little unorthodox. He is a very interesting man. Uh, that is coaching that Detroit team, but it people are buying in. That team is buying into Campbell's philosophies and what he wants to do and how to make this team successful. They are buying in, so it's not anything of a concern to Detroit. And it, it is a little unorthodox how he does goes about his coaching, but it's working. We don't we don't understand it. Nobody in the NFL is getting it, but it's working. And I think that Detroit is probably going to be good within the next couple years, maybe fixing the defense a little bit. Jamal Williams and 
Devontae Smith, Swift is going to be a great running back combo. Uh, Jamison Williams, who came back this season, you know, had a stellar game and has had a little bit of a stellar end of the season. Amont Ross St. Brown, he's he's a great wide receiver. He's emerging as a great wide receiver. So maybe fixing the defense and give it a couple years. I think Detroit's going to be one of the best NFC, NFC teams going into the future. They have a real, they have a bright future ahead of them. So congratulations to Detroit for finishing the season above 500. Even though they got eliminated by Seattle, Seattle um, ended up beating the Rams in overtime. Even though they got eliminated, they did not care. It wasn't like they hung their heads and said, "Okay, well we're not going to the playoffs anymore." We shouldn't try. Their mindset was still, we can spoil the Green Bay Packers. And I'm pretty sure that was Coach Campbell's, you know, his mindset of, even if we don't make playoffs, we can ruin it for somebody else. And that's exactly what they did. So, you know, congratulations to Campbell. They had, a, you know, finishing above 500, had a winning season technically. Jared Goff uh, showed a lot of promise. And Jamison Williams is going to be great. Jamal Williams is going to be great as well. So next year, it might... Keep an eye out for the Detroit Lions next year. They, they might they might sneak into the playoffs. They might be the dark horse next year. I'm calling it right now. Now, moving on to the Green Bay Packers. Now, with the Green Bay Packers, I have to put a lot of blame on Aaron Rodgers. And here's why. Rodgers is kind of that player and that guy that wants all the achievement but none of the backlash. No, we're going we're gonna to do both here. Rodgers was 17 for 27, 205 yards, one TD, and one interception. Technically, he should have had more. There was, I believe he should have had two or three, but they got called back on flag. So he got real lucky. So with Rodgers, he needs to take, you know, not if not all the blame, but the majority of the blame. He didn't play up to the level where he should. At all uh, this season, he did not have a game over 300 yards. He's barely eclipsing 200 to, uh, for this game. Obviously, the Detroit defense stepped up. Aiden Hutchinson's looking great, but... For Green Bay, they are putting they put fifty million dollars with Aaron Rodgers. They are trusting Aaron Rodgers, and he is not, you know, producing. They obviously turn it around towards the end of the season to try to get into the playoffs, but it's just not working. He's not having great connections with all the wide receivers that are on that are on display. Christian Watson's looking great. Alan Lazard looks promising, but there were times where he missed Lazard or it wasn't a good pass, and I could just see it like in his eyes and kind of mouthing, trying to like give direction, but. If you want all the praise as a quarterback, you're going to take all the blame on your part as well. And Rodgers didn't play well this season. You know, back-to-back MVP, he's gone to the Super Bowl. You you know, you have to take some sort of accountability here. And now Aaron Rodgers is going to play the retirement card. Is he going to retire? Is he not? I think what's going to happen is that he's going to see if Green Bay is going to come back and say, no, we really want you, Aaron, and he's going to decide to come back and play another year. I know he's already displaying cryptic messages, you know, in conferences and whatever else. I believe he did some carousel uh, carousel analogy where, you know, sometimes you just got to get off the ride. He said the same thing last year along those lines. You know, he was possibly thinking about retirement, came back for another season because the Green Bay Packers went to him and said, no, Aaron, we need you, Green Bay Fans were just begging him not to go. So, for me to to criticize Aaron Rodgers like that, it's just something we have to do. It's not, you know, we can't just discredit, you know, and keep him off the leash because that's what he thinks. He thinks nothing is his fault. You know, if you see some of the games whenever he throws the interceptions, he tries to point out it's the wide receiver, you didn't run the right route, when sometimes he just underthrew the ball. Sometimes he just, he tried to do too much. He tried to get the try to throw away the ball or you try to make a play where it wasn't it wasn't open clearly 
and he still tried just because he's Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers likes to, I don't know why he believes in that. He just has that personality of, I'm smarter than everybody. I'm always right. You're always wrong. Deal with it. And that's something you just never want in your uh, in your locker room. But when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, obviously, he's going to, as a player, he's going to go down as one of the greats. Hands down. He's going to be considered one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Personality-wise, no. I would not I would not want to hang out with Aaron Rodgers personally just because of his personality he kind of displays on the field. But you do need to take some kind of accountability. He did throw a bad interception. He should have had more. He got bailed out. Now, to kind of move on from uh, blaming Aaron Rodgers for majority of the game, also it did not help that their rushing game was not existent as well. I believe Aaron Jones only had 49 yards rushing. None, uh, in total rushing yards, they didn't even eclipse 100. I believe they didn't even eclipse over 75 and Aaron Jones fumbled the ball. So what I think this was last night was just one of the biggest collapses I've ever seen by Green Bay at the end. Because this was borderline a playoff game. Actually, scratch that. This was basically a playoff game. They they win, they're in. They're in the playoffs. But they lose, they're out. You know, this was their opportunity to come back and make that great, you know, kind of make that great story for Aaron Rodgers. Like, oh, they were down. Aaron Rodgers came back with the Packers. Now they're, now they're in the wild card. Which that wasn't the case. They should be the ones... I believe going to play the 49ers, but they're not. And I know, and like I said, I know Rodgers probably throughout the offseason, everyone, even me, is going to speculate, is he going to come back? Is he going to possibly want to leave Green Bay? I believe also like there were instances where like it's Matt LaFleur's fault. It's not his. So it's just at some point, Rodgers has to ex- accept some sort, of, um, some sort of accountability here. You just have to. You're the, you're the front man. You know, you're the one taking all the praise when we're winning. We're making great comebacks. But he doesn't want to deal with any of the negative criticism that's coming about him if the Green Bay Packers lose as well, which is not fair to anybody. Now, if there are some instances where it's not completely his fault, then fine. But this past, but like yesterday, like this past Sunday's game, he did not play well. This past season, he did not play up to the number of the wellness of Aaron Rodgers that we've seen. I believe this past season, he's thrown more than ten interceptions, which is not very Aaron Rodgers like. You know, he didn't pass for the, as many yards in total this year. That's not very Aaron Rodgers that we've known. You know, the you know the smart, calculated quarterback that we've seen in years past, the back-to-back MVP that we've seen, and this and just last night, just kind of, or on Sunday night, it just showed that they were they just collapsed at the end of the season, and Aaron Rodgers collapsed with the Green Bay Packers. So he needs to take some sort of accountability with this. Then now they're not in the playoffs, and we're gonna have to wait and see. What they're going to do in the offseason. They do have Jordan Love. And you know they're at least he's trying to work with him. And they're trying to develop Jordan Love. In case Aaron Rodgers does ultimately decide to retire. Or if Green Bay calls his bluff. And see if, see if he wants to come back. But I think that should be the game plan for the Green Bay Packers in the offseason. Keep developing Jordan Love until this carousel. That, uh, that Aaron Rodgers is saying. And see if he's going to hop off the ride. Or he's going to you know. Try to get one more going, but we will see. All right, so the last game that caught my eye was the Texans and the Colts. Not necessarily the gameplay here. <clears throat> Not on how well they played. Just the circumstances of what happened. The, all the Texans needed to do was lose to get the number one pick in the draft. Now, I know that's very hard for someone to do, you know, a team to do, especially in sports. Like, we should go out there and lose. You're never going to tell your team that. You're always going to tell them you want to win. But in this situation, when you want, when you're kind of aiming to try to get Bryce Young, this is kind of one of those, okay, maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe rest the players if we want to. Don't put in Davis Mills. 
you know, kind of, you know, not necessarily tell the team we're going to lose, but, like, put them in a position where, like, you can get the number one pick. And they didn't do that. And they beat the Colts. Now, to hop on the Colts, that, that just wraps up how well their season is going. They are they didn't, are not playing well. They gave Sam Ellinger another chance. Yeah, he did he did pretty decent, actually. Aside of the two interceptions, he passed for 23 for 38 and two touchdowns. But that is still the ultimate sign of the Indianapolis Colts need a quarterback. They need one badly because Matt Ryan doesn't look good. Nick Foles, I believe he got hurt. And now Sam Ellinger. I think They may try to give him another chance, but I don't think it's going to work out with him. And then Davis Mills, who had 22 for 38, 298 yards, three touchdowns, and two INTs. That kind of game, that kind of playing, you know, a bar in the two interceptions, he did play great. But the two interceptions and the turnovers that Davis Mills has produced all season is ultimately why they want to go get Bryce Young. But as I stated, the Houston Texans needed to lose this game to get the number one pick in the draft. They needed the number one pick. Now they have allowed the Bears to have control of the draft. Now they are going to have to submit to the Bears and see what they want to give up for the number one pick because the Chicago Bears are going to hold on to that pick, you know, regardless of, you know, if they want it that bad. They're going to hold it and see how much they can get for the number one pick. So unless Houston wants to give up a lot to get it, now they're in a kind of an uncomfortable situation. Now, I know earlier in the, in the episode, I stated that they're probably not going to get Bryce Young. But they they do have the number one pick, and they're going to see who really wants them that bad. And now it's going to be a bidding war between probably the Texans and the Colts. Maybe the Jets as well. Because I know the Jets, they don't believe in Zach Wilson anymore. Joe Flacco did not look good against Miami, and they're not sure about Michael White anymore. So it's going to be a bidding war. And the Texans could have had control of the draft, and they would have gone with their guy, Bryce Young. But now... We're going to have to, you know, see if they want to give it up or they're going to try to call the Bears bluff and see if they, what they want to do or what they want for the number one pick in the draft. But now it's, it's just not looking good for the Texans and, you know, finishing off the season on that. Not really a sour note, but not definitely not in the way you want it. So the Houston Texans, they, hopefully the new coach that's going to come in is going to help them figure it out and prepare them for the future. And especially when Bryce Young comes in. Because I still believe they're going to get Bryce Young. I do not think that they're not going to pass on Bryce Young. For sure. But with this game, it would have solidified they were getting Bryce Young. But now they have the number two pick. They're going to have to wait and see who is going to get the number one pick. Now, for the last topic for today, we are going into wild card weekend. This is going to be probably a crazy weekend in my opinion. Some great games lined up. But I'm going to do my picks for this for the wild card playoff race. So first up, we got Seattle and the 49ers. I'm gonna go with the 49ers. Pete Carroll, I believe he had a com- he had a a conference and he was saying that the unlucky thing is they gotta go play the Niners. I think that's already not a good sign for Seattle. Their defense is top notch. Brock Purdy is taking the NFL by storm and he's taking over that team. So I'm gonna give it to the 49ers. I believe they're gonna pull uh, they're gonna pull off the win and just they're gonna move on, uh, move on to the playoffs. Next, we got the Chargers and the Jaguars. Both quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. This is their first time in the playoffs. So we're going to see what they look like in playoff atmosphere. Now, it is going to be a little daunting for Justin Herbert because I don't believe he ever played in any kind of big national title stage or anything like that when he was in Oregon. Trevor Lawrence, however, has played in a national championship twice and won one, I believe. I know he won one, but I believe he played in two national championships. So, 
what's it called Trevor Lawrence is already knows the expectations going into a big game playing playing against Alabama and to those teams and the best you know the best talent out there in the country. I believe his you know kind of experience in big time games is going to help him, but obviously and I believe as well with Doug Peterson winning the Super Bowl, he's a coach that's got you know been there done that. I believe he's going to prepare the Jaguars a little bit more than Justin Herbert's going to be prepared for playoff play. So I'm going to take the Jags in a very close game. Give me Jacksonville. Next up, the Ravens and the Bengals. As of right now, as of right now, things can change. But as of right now, Lamar Jackson is not playing as of right now. So they're probably either going to go with Huntley or figure out how they're going to run the offense. As of right now. I know there's a lot of speculation on what is going on with Lamar, about his injury, and things of that nature. <laughs> so with that. With that in consider, you know, with that to think about, give me the Cincinnati Bengals. They're gonna win this one. Joe Joe Burrow wants another run at the Super Bowl, so give me Bengals and Joe Shiesty. They're probably I feel like they're gonna win twenty seven to ten uh, in that game. Next up, we got the Dolphins and the Bills. Give me Bills Mafia. I think hands down they're gonna be the better they're the better team. Then Miami, they do have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, but with a giant question mark at quarterback because I don't believe Tua Tungvalu is coming back this season and I'm probably not going to put him in the playoffs in the you know put him to play in the playoffs so they're going to run with either Teddy Bridgewater or the I believe Thompson was the quarterback and they're probably more than likely going to go with Teddy Bridgewater so with that that they do not compare to Tua I believe Tua is the better of the three he has a better connection with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle so without their starting quarterback give me Bills Mafia Josh Allen's probably going to go off against that defense and also Stefan Day so that's going to be another Big blowout, in my opinion. I would say probably 28 to 7. I'll give it that. Next up, I think this is one of the closer games the Giants and the Vikings. I'm going to pick another upset on this one. I'm going to go with the Giants. I think the G Men in New York might pull off a win. And here's why because the Vikings are coming into the playoffs, I believe, in a low, in a low trajectory right now with all the confidence getting away from them from Green Bay. Kirk Cousins, you know, now we can see, now we see Kirk Cousins is not playing to the level that we've seen him play all season. Now we notice that if you take away Justin Jefferson, he's, you know, that offense cannot move cuz Dalvin Cook is not is not running the ball as well as he has in years past and Kirk Cousins only option is either Justin Jefferson or bust. And I think the Giants if they can somehow hold Justin Jefferson and uh if Thibodeau can get to Kirk Cousins, then they're gonna win this game hands down. And with Saquon Barkley playing, they're gonna have a. They're probably gonna. It's probably gonna be a close game for sure. It's gonna be a close game. Saquon Barkley is gonna carry the Giants, and the Giants will ride as far as Saquon Barkley goes. And I mean, personally, with me, Daniel Jones, I don't. I don't think he's a top-notch quarterback. Obviously, he's done well enough in that offensive scheme to get them where they're at right now. But I believe Saquon Barkley is gonna be the major factor in this game and if the Giants can take away Justin Jefferson Kirk Cousins is going to be in a bind so give me the Giants the G-men from New York now lastly for the last game the Cowboys and the Buccaneers this one's a close call because after what I saw with the commanders and how poorly the play was it's going to be a closer game than I honestly think it's going to be I now I know Tom Brady is undefeated against the Dallas Cowboys I know that they're playing in Tampa Bay. They're playing on grass. I believe that's like a new statistic that they found was that the Dallas Cowboys play not as good football when they're on grass field compared to turf. I, I 
didn't even know like that was a statistical thing nor did i know that i, I know it does matter because those players have their preferences so i know that matters but i did not know there was a statistic, a statistic for that and i didn't know they even measured that that's a pretty new information for me to find out but it's going to be close but i'm going to i'm going to i'm hopeful maybe the cowboys prove me wrong but i'm going to go with the buccaneers i think with how the you know how Dak is playing right now he has the ability to be a top 10 top 5 quarterback but he is playing like one of you know one of the most one of the worst in the NFL right now he's not connecting with CD Lamb Noah Brown's not catching the ball and i think the only saving grace i think the Cowboys are going to have is the running game because i because the Buccaneers defense is not as elite as it used to be i believe Shaquille Barrett has been out for the season so they are not going to have that defensive, you know, that defensive leader, that run stuffer to stop Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I think that's what's going to make it a close game is both of those guys going at it. And with Tom Brady's offense, their running game is non-existent, as I said earlier. But obviously, Mike Evans in the first game of the season was able to go up against Trayvon Diggs and had a great game. We're still questionable on what's going to happen with cornerback two and how we're going to defend Chris Godwin, the speedster. So... We'll have to see, but I think the Buccaneers are probably going to win this game. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be close, but I think the Buccaneers are going to pull it off at the end. But already, everybody, that'll wrap up this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. This episode will be on the YouTube channel, so make sure you guys go follow it at CAV Sports Podcast. And make sure to follow me on all my socials at CAV Sports. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. But thank you guys so much, for, and see you in the next episode.